Hello and welcome to episode 197 of section 138. I'm your host, Mark Colley, as always, joined by Bryson and Jacob. And I guess we shouldn't get too smug because last week we complained that we're just saying the same thing week in and week out because the Blue Jays keep winning series. And what do you know? We jinx it. They lose a series to the New York Yankees. The offense is still nowhere to be found. They score a combined five runs across three games. The Yankees extend their winning streak to 11 games before the Blue Jays break it on Wednesday with a narrow 2-1 to win. Jacob, Bryson, how are you guys? Doing good. First of all, jinxes aren't real. But anyways, yes, you are right. It's definitely different for us to come out here and say that the Jays have lost a series. And on the bright side, you know, they avoid the, se- or they avoid the sweep. They get this last game now. And then you know after this upcoming weekend, you have the Yankees again next week. So you come out on top. You get an opportunity to get at them again next week. Not complaining too much, even though there was a lot of bad things that did happen this series. Oh, yeah. We're going to get into all that. Um, Jacob, your opinion. Are jinxes real or not? I'm not saying that you can statistically prove it, but every time I say something, oh, the opposite it. thing happens. So you're saying they're real. I'm not saying they're real. I'm it's saying yes or no. The I'm saying I have a uh recent memory of these these things occurring. So I'm just gonna say one that. minute in and you're I already things, not giving it's not a even answering answer the question on a yes or no question. <laughs> I'm just saying, Leafs are gonna. Okay, be- now you brought this up. Oh, we're not gonna have talk to about it. They have a j- they have the worst jinxes on the planet. The Blue Jays, hopefully okay, not. But okay. I'm just saying they might be real. Jinxes are not real, <laughs> for the record. Um, but if they are, we certainly jinx them for this past series. Um, yeah, I mean they win today's game and they lose the previous two games. Let's talk about the Tuesday game because that was. A disaster upon disaster upon disaster for the Blue Jays. And I should mention, not just for the Blue Jays, but for the umpires as well. There was some very questionable decisions made in that inning. The seventh inning in particular, when things fell apart for the Blue Jays, they end up losing 9-1, to which is, if I can recall correctly, their worst loss of the season just by run differential alone, on top of just how brutal that game was from essentially beginning to end, but especially from the seventh inning onward. Um, The umpires are one thing. We've talked about them already. We all have our thoughts clearly made on them. Um, I don't think there's much to add there. But what we saw in the seventh inning outside of the umpires was something we haven't seen from the Blue Jays this year, and that was real defensive sloppiness. And whether you blame that inning unraveling on the umpires alone or whether you place blame on that botched rundown or other plays, there was a bit of sloppiness there that we aren't used to seeing. And I think that's inevitable when you're playing all these one-run games. I think it's honestly a surprise we hadn't seen that earlier this season, but I would be surprised if there was a single Blue Jay fan out there who was not banging their head against a brick wall after watching that inning because it was just brutal from start to finish and I don't know about you guys but really turned my mood upside down yeah and it, it's it's tough because the one play Bo Bichette, I said I think I said this last week this guy's got to clean his defense up like you cannot be making if you're playing one run games I get it errors happen you cannot be making these seemingly routine plays just and or excuse me not making these routine plays and somehow like you make the great plays look really great but then just your average ground ball just does not go where it's supposed to go and that was I think where the inning started the inning uh or at least the the unraveling of it where it started Blue Jays challenge that call eventually lose their challenge and then later when we talk about the defensive sloppiness I don't really blame Vladdy on that rundown like he's he's doing really what he can at that point like you're it's the 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 guy was almost doing laps at that point like you're just throwing back and forth trying to get them out. It's tough. Like it's it, it and also the worst part is is the Blue Jays end up, you know, kind of exploding after that and collapsing. It was a tough situation. The umpire in that situation since the Blue Jays lost their challenge, they cannot review it and say or and go to the video board in New York. The problem is is you can have a meeting with the rest of that everybody have with the crew chief and everyone at least talk about it. I don't know how you don't do that. I don't know how if the if 
one of the best players in baseball is saying something and he's very adamant about it, I think you at least consider it. I'm not saying Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is an umpire or that he's qualified to be an umpire, but you at least consider it. Consider having a meeting on the mound, but just I'll give credit. The umpire stuck with his decision. I disagree with it to at least not further review it, but at that point it is what it is. And then the team just kind of just you talk about a good Alec Manoa start, only one earned run over six, uh, six strong innings, seven strikeouts, only one walk. Like, another dominant start. It was a close game at that point. Adam Simber comes in a third of an inning. three, So three runs were charged to him, or three runs total, but only one of them was charged to him. Then Julian Merriweather with two... Uh, he didn't even actually record an out, but three runs were charged to him. Whole inning just kind of collapsed at that point. And I, I think we've said this all throughout, I think, the entire season. If you're playing this many one-run games these types of mistakes are what are going to eventually cost you. And it's going to be much more noticeable when you are playing these games. Now, yes, obviously 9-1, to it's not a close game, but it was close at one point. And you cannot have these types of things happen. Yes, the umpiring, yes, the defense needs to be better. But I think that a series like this, you take one of three from the Yankees, you lose the series. I think this is more indicative of the dangers of a one-run game or relying on those one-run games because even today... Jordan Romano got into a bit of trouble. He, you know, it was two on, two out. Almost, I think it was maybe in bases loaded at one point, but he was close to walking a guy. And it, like, they're winning. They won today. They won the majority of their one-run games. But this is not sustainable, I don't think, for a full season. And again, runners in scoring position continues to struggle. They left five on in the Tuesday game, which realistically wouldn't have mattered much. But still, consistently hitting in double plays when you have guys on consistently just not getting guys home when they're at in scoring position and it came to hurt them right like at the end of the day this team still is what are they 15 and uh, 16 and 10 now so a good record almost uh, almost a two to one win percentage it's a good team you just you, i think there's work to go on and yeah you're now facing the guardians for a weekend series you have Barrios, gosman stripling i know i'm getting a little bit ahead of myself but Take this series as a bit of a reset because what we saw in this series against the Yankees, to me, even if you win a million games in one-run situations against good opponents, something like this will definitely worry me because it it easily could have been a sweep, but at the same time, it easily could have been a, a reverse sweep or a 2-1 series win by the Blue Jays had things have gone a little bit differently. Yeah, I look at it more than that way because I look at game one and I look at game three and those are games that they definitely should have won. Well, they won game three, but I think game one, they definitely should have won based on the opportunities they did have. They just, it felt like the Yankees gave them so many chances to take the lead and to win that game. So you're right. I mean, if everything was going, I guess, perfectly for the Jays or at least capitalizing on runners in scoring position better than one for eight, because that's what they went for on game one, probably a little bit of a different story. So I look at it as a whole throughout the series, and you touched on it a bit, Jacob, is that, you know, you're wasting these starts from these guys. And, you know, Ross Stripling, we know that we're not expecting too much out of him. He gets four solid innings out of the bullpen. Uh, they don't want, they basically don't want him facing uh, the Yankees order or any sort of lineup three times, which is why he comes out after a certain amount of time. That's why he came out after the fourth. So you understand his role. You understand what he's there to do. You can't complain about what he did. Uh, you look at game two, you're talking about Alec Manoa was really on point. Um, you know, a typical four-seaman slider were on point. Those were his money pitches, and he was getting a lot of weak contact against two. And you come away, you know, he leaves the game when it's tied, and you come away with that of pretty much what happened in the seventh inning. One of the probably the worst meltdown of the year. It might, you know, at the end of the year, who's to say it could be the worst meltdown of the year if you look back on it. I mean, just the way... and just everything transpired in that inning starting from you know the challenge that you missed out you you pretty much went over it Jacob missing out on the challenge the misplay by Vladdy or I should say the missed call when Vladdy tagged or uh, uh made the tag at home plate and it, you couldn't review it and the the worst part is too is that the crew chief can call even if the team is out of challenges a crew chief can call a meeting and kind of reevaluate the call and maybe overturn it if it's that blatant, yeah, not even that's obvious not even just reevaluate, but they can trigger a video review if they want. It can be a crew chief review, and they can get on the phone with New York. They don't need Charlie Montoyo to say that. They could have made that decision themselves. Which is why, even if they're out of challenges, you look at that, if it's that obvious, 
umpire should be stepping in and making the right call, but I just I don't know if they wanted to go home. I, I bet because clearly that didn't work. <laughs> the the inning went even longer, but I don't know what their ambitions were, or what they were trying to do. But it was pretty obvious. We know that. Again, I don't make that the main reason for that debacle. Of course, it was one of a, a factor of it. Uh, and but the main reason for that debacle, in my opinion, were the defensive miscues. You just sloppy defense all around. And, you know, a team like the Yankees who came in in the series hot, you can't give them the opportunities to do that. And they capitalized on it. I mean, they hit the Jays hard no matter who was pitching out of the bullpen. They gave it to them, and they really made them pay for their mistakes. So I don't know if it was good the Jays got that kind of little bit of a lesson or kind of were told, like, just the way they were dominated that inning. But it was ugly. And, you know, people coming out of the bullpen were really struggling. Adam Simber had a rare off night, I guess, out of the bullpen. Uh, Julian Merriweather overall this year hasn't been good at all. I mean, you want to look at his numbers. His ERA is above eight. And this is a guy that came into this year, you know, supposedly supposed to be one of those best relievers out of the bullpen. We haven't seen that from him. Uh, he just hasn't been the Julian Merriweather that we thought we were going to get, even though he kind of came in in a tough spot. All these guys kind of came in on a tough spot. But, that inning alone, it just, that obviously they deserve to lose that game. But you look at game one and game three, and you got, you know, we're going to talk about Kikuchi in a bit, but he was another one who had a really quality start. And the offense, again, up and down, up and down, up and down. Uh, you know, today in particular, on which was game three, they didn't have as many runners at scoring position opportunities because they didn't get a lot of hits to begin with. So, as much as they went one for two, which is a 500 batting average, uh, they just, they, I guess overall, again, weren't hitting it the greatest. So, there's a lot of things they're working through. I guess another highlight I'll have from the series, though, is Bo Bichette, who is continuing to hit the ball hard, and he's hitting the ball good. You want to look at game one, he went uh, two for four. I believe he went two for four also in game two. And in game three, he went one for three. So that's somebody who's starting to see the ball well at the top of the order. It was kind of a quiet series from Springer. Uh, Vladdy had a couple of good hits here and there. So, you know, not everyone's clicking at the same time. Another thing we're going to talk about, Maybe the return of Teoscar Hernandez is really the jump start they need. We know he's going to be coming back this weekend in Cleveland at some point. I think all expectations are he's actually back for Thursday. I don't know if he's playing Thursday. I don't see why not if he's going to rejoin the team for Thursday. So you hope he's back in at some point this weekend, which is almost certain. He's going to go back to clean the cleanup spot. You can kind of balance the lineup a little bit better. You hope that's the jump start because he hasn't missed a beat. We spoke about, or we've everyone's kind of aware of his rehab assignment in Dunedin. He had a home run in game one. He went one for three in game two. He's kind of picking up right where he left off. So it's just game two is pretty, and going back to game two now, is that it's just everything that you can't let happen again in the future. You just, you can't let that stuff happen. I mean, there was just sloppy play all around. Then. And even another thing that kind of came to my mind afterward, which was the couple innings later, is Alejandro Kirk gets a base hit and you just slop, you know, sloppy just gets uh, picked off at first base. Like you can't you can't have those plays. And there was another error too. The Jays finished with two errors on the night. So everything about that, wipe it clean because that was ugly. And I'll touch back on what I said in uh, the opening segment is that you come out of this game or the series winning the last game of the series. You have them again next week for two games, a short two game series in Yankee Stadium. You can easily get them back next week, which is good. But you just, you know, and this is going to be a lesson for the, the other good teams that you see down the road is you can't be making these mistakes. And I think it touches on too the, you know, the concern from some people about the runners in scoring position. You know, it's not sustainable. Nobody is saying it is sustainable. So I think that's also a concern as everyone says, you know, the offense is going to come. The offense is going to come. And we know it's going to come, but we don't know exactly when. And I think maybe that's why people are concerned, or I should say some people are, because we just really, as much as you you like the lineup, you like the team they have, we haven't really seen the flashes yet that they're breaking out. You know, we see individual breakout performances, like Pachette I just mentioned, but as a team, as a whole, we still haven't seen that yet, and I think that's the concerning part for my end, and I'm pretty sure that's the concerning part with a bunch of guys, but the only thing that really remains the same out of this series, other than the runners in scoring position in a positive way, is the starting pitching. So, you know, both things are going to get on track at the same time. You imagine how dominant the team's going to be. But for now, it just feels like this is the only way that this team's going to win games right now. And again, it's not sustainable, yes, but we don't know when exactly this will end. A road trip, probably much needed. You have, again, the Guardians this weekend, New York next week, and then you have the Rays next weekend. And that one may be a little bit concerning because of their history at Tropicana Field. But 
the the end of the day is maybe this is a road trip that the Jays need. I asked you last time we spoke if you were concerned or frustrated with people who were concerned at uh, about the Blue Jays' struggles this season with runners in scoring position and their success in one-run games and whether or not it was sustainable or not. Has your opinion changed on that based on this series against New York? Well, I don't think I, I never said it was sustainable, but at the moment I did say I wasn't concerned about it because they were finding ways to win. Um, I think right now, I think the problem, I guess, with what I or what I was saying, or I guess the reason for that was you just see, you know, there's people who are concerned. And I think there's also fans who take it to the next level and overreact a little bit too much. And I think that had something to do with it. But right now, you know, I'm fine still. I as much as that's crazy to say, I got to stick with it. I do because I know it's going to change at some point. But at the end of the day, everyone knows it's not sustainable, and I, I'm can flat out admit it's 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 not. So yeah, yeah. I think what this series demonstrates, especially what the Tuesday game demonstrates, is that when you're playing close games every day, and when you're playing one run games, you have to be perfect. There is no room for error, and when those errors come, like the Bobochet throwing error like the failed replay review, like the tag that Vladdy made and wasn't called by the umpire, when those relatively small things on the margins go wrong in a one-run game, they are monumental. And you can't be relying on those tiny details to win day in, day out. It's just not sustainable. So I think by and large, whether the Blue Jays learned that or not remains to be seen. I don't think it was... To be honest, really a learning lesson for them. They're all professionals. They know how this game works. They've been here before. Um, I think it was a learning lesson for us as fans that this is not sustainable. This cannot work day in and day out. You have to get the offense going. And yeah, it's a question of when it gets going. If it ever gets going. I know we're all confident that it will. And it's only a matter of time. But you look at the splits from last season. um, The Blue Jays offense in April was not great. In 2021, which we all know, it really took off in May. And May was one of their best offensive months of the year. So you're looking at the schedule. They score six runs to start the the month of May last year. Seven, four, one. And then they go on a run of nine runs, ten runs, four runs, eight runs, four, five, four, eight, one, etc., etc. It seems like that was really the turning point. The back-to-back games where they score nine runs and then ten runs. Both those coming against Oakland, those West Coast games early on in the season. Um, That was May 5th and May 6th when the Blue Jays score 9 and 10 runs respectively. And then a couple days later they score 8 against Houston. Um, We're right at that point. It's going to be May 5 tomorrow and they're playing the Cleveland Guardians. So you hope against all hope that they can get things going and maybe Teoscar Hernandez is the jump they need when he comes back in this series. But I don't know. I don't want to hinge all my hopes on Teoscar Hernandez. I am still a little bit concerned, even when Teoscar comes back, that it's not going to be a magic pill for this offense. So I don't know what it is that's going to get him going. You hope it's Teoscar, but I'm a little bit nervous that everyone is pinning their hopes on him. And he'll come back and he's not going to be all he was cracked up to be. Or even if he is personally, um, the offense isn't going to have all the impacts that uh, people think it will with Teoscar being back. I, I, I want it to be a magic pill and a magic solution for the Blue Jays, but I'm a little bit nervous that it won't work out that way. Yeah, I mean, Teoscar is definitely going to need to prove himself. He's, like, he's definitely made himself a name, but... If he's not swinging the bat, then he's an easy guy to pitch to because he'll just be to be close fair. To I don't. Out, I don't mean Teoscar specifically because like I'm confident he's going to come back, even if he takes a little bit to get going. I'm sure he'll be fine. I just mean I don't know if he's going to solve all the offensive problems. Yeah, well, I think the what him coming back in this lineup will do is it gives you one less guy to pitch to. Now, so Springer's been leading off. We saw Tapia do it a little bit, but Springer's their leadoff hitter. Bichette's going to hit second. I'm saying you maybe move him down, switch him and Chapman, but that's a different story. Uh, then you have Guerrero third, Hernandez four, Guriel five, then you move Chapman, Espinal, uh, uh, Zach Collins, etc. You move everybody down a little bit, but the key is, is right now, if to, I was just based on today's lineup, that's what I was looking at, but if you're pitching to Vladimir Guerrero Jr. today, 
I think you can pitch to him a little bit more aggressively, i.e. giving him pitches to hit, knowing that Lourdes Gurriel Jr., who is still a good hitter, but not as good, is behind him. Whereas, if that's Teoscar Hernandez, and then Gurriel, then Chapman, who are, to some extent, still established hitters and have had good seasons, you're going to pitch a lot more to certain guys. Like, there's only so many guys you can avoid pitching to, because then you're just avoiding the entire lineup, and then you might as well just walk everybody. So yeah, I I think it will. Sorry, are you saying that Teoscar being in the lineup means that they'll pitch around Vladdy? I'm... No, no, no. What I mean is, um, if he's in this lineup, there are so many good hitters that it doesn't like. I think it'll just be a butterfly effect of him being such a good hitter. Like, there's not really anybody that you can avoid in the lineup, so everybody's going to get uh, kind of their chances to hit. Because it's not like you can say, I'm not going to pitch to some to one guy, I'll pitch to the next guy. Like You can't really do that if if it's two-time Silver Slugger Teoscar Hernandez behind you. So I think that's really the key thing here. Like you said, I doubt it's a magic pill. I doubt he comes back and it's immediately the Blue Jays score, I don't know even when, he, when he's coming back, maybe in the, on the weekend or uh, early next week. I doubt he, he alone or whether it's a butterfly effect or whatever. I doubt the team goes and scores six, seven, ten runs a game. I just think it will add to the team, and slowly but surely it'll help guys get going. But yeah, that's my main thing. I don't think it's going to be a magic pill. I just think that give it some time, let everybody settle in, let every good hitter settle in, and then I highly doubt that the offense is going to be as quiet as as it's going to be. Because at the end of the day, you are throwing a two-time silver slugger back into your lineup, and... I highly, highly doubt that that doesn't jolt this lineup at, uh, to some capacity. Yeah, I mean, I think it's too much to ask for Hernandez to you know, be that magic pill, but it's going to help, and I think that's obvious that it is going to help. You were going over uh, the lineup, Jacob, You know the difference when he's in the lineup without, and I think that's kind of obvious, and I think it's expected. It's the protection of the lineup. People like Vladdy are more protected. I mean, we know this, and I think that you know somebody like Bo Bichette, who's starting to turn the corner, who's playing really well now, I think it's... It's good for individually, again, but the problem is, and I go back to what I said last time or last segment, is that we still haven't seen the hints. We still haven't seen the signs like we have been for somebody like Bo, who's hitting the ball well. And then it's only a matter of time before it starts clicking. And we know that he's been unlucky with hard hit contact and, you know, all that stuff. But we haven't seen that overall as a team yet. So, you know, the issue is... The issue is not when the runner or the bases are empty. I think uh, I think they have a batting average way over 300 when the, the bases are empty. I'm pretty sure that's what it is. And it's just the problem is, is when it's not even just, you know, when, when you really break it down, it's not even just runners in scoring position. This could be even, you know, runners just on base in general. And I think that's the concerning part uh, is when that, that happens. So, you know, when the bases are empty, I think the Jays are top four in the league in terms of um, that. No, that's not right. But they're, yeah, they are. They're sorry. Top four in the league in terms of batting average at uh, 254. And that's fourth in the league uh, with the bases empty. And then we know that when somebody gets on, it gets worse. And I don't know if it's their approach. I don't know if, like, I just, I don't know what it is. And it just feels like, when there is somebody on base, just the at-bats in general are just a disaster. I mean, you see pop-ups, you see strikeouts, you see double plays. You just, there's, you see nothing other than, you know, production. And then, I mean, tonight, I guess, was a rare exception because the Jays did capitalize on the loan opportunities they had when it was uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. who drove in. I think it was Bo Bichette. But either way, he hit a single with a runner on second base. Perfect. I mean, perfect. I think when Jays fans saw that, it was great because you know you haven't seen that again. And when there's runners on score, or when there's runners on base in general, the Jays are 25th in the league, batting 223. And guess what? It's probably even worse when there's runners in scoring position. So that's the problem, and it is. And the Jays are officially now 30th in the league, if I'm not mistaken, in terms of runners in scoring position. That is in the league. 172 uh, in terms of batting average. I'm ranking this all in batting average. So it's actually gotten worse than the last time this has kind of been noticed and brought upon in terms of, you know, the broadcast and what people are really talking about. Every time we talk about it, it gets worse. And that's the concern for me. So, you know, 
I understand, um, and going back to what I said, I guess the last episode is it's good that they are winning these close games. Yes, and that's why I was happy with it. You know, people like Jordan Romano are getting opportunities in the clutch. They're they're finding ways to win, and that's what they were doing. And of course, there's some luck that comes with it. You know, you're not going to go perfect every time. And we saw we've seen both ends of the spectrum in terms of unlucky and lucky compared to um, you know, going back to last year with unlucky situations and lucky situations this year. But yes, it's not sustainable, and there's going to be games where you know, the starting pitching isn't going to allow one or two runs. And we've been extremely lucky with that. You know, we can't expect as much as, you know, it'd be cool if it did happen, but we can't expect always that the starting rotation and our top guys are not going to have an off night one night. I mean, it's it's bound to happen. We haven't seen it yet, but there could be a start where somebody just high up on the Jays rotation just doesn't have it one night. And if you're down 4-1 four, four or something like that, going into the middle to the later innings, there's not even a point in watching the game. That's basically where they are right now because you know it's over. So once they get going, once they get these flashes, maybe Teoscar helps. He's not going to be the save, the Lord and Savior for it, but maybe he helps. Maybe when you get those signs, it's going to start feeling a lot more comfortable. And Mark, you were going over the splits last year, and I was pretty much reminded by that, is that we had the same situation last year early on in the year. And I remember we spoke about this pretty much all of April, but we did have that sign and we did have the turning point early on in April when you were going over the runs that they put up. So once we get that, I think it's going to be a lot better. It's going to be a lot more smooth sailing for the team. You have to expect it will be, but there needs to be a sign that comes first. I don't know if it's the Guardians pitching that gets them going. Who knows? I mean, you are seeing some pretty good pitchers on the weekend. I think tomorrow night might be the easiest on paper in terms of Adam uh, Saval. He has got a 10.67 ERA. He's off to a horrible start. And then Friday, you see Shane Bieber. Saturday, you see Tristan McKenzie, who's a great young arm in their organization. Sunday, I don't think they have a listed starter yet. So it's not like you're facing every, you know, all the pitches you're facing this weekend are awful as much as the Guardians are average overall as a team. You're still facing some pretty good guys. And Shane Bieber is obviously the highlight of this series for who Cleveland's sending out on the mound this weekend. So you're going to have a test. Um, You're going to, you know, it's not going to be easy peasy, obviously, but this is a test for you, and we just got to hope at some point it's going to click. And you really hope that next time when the Jays get to New York, they can make up for the games they lost this week. And maybe that comes with the offense. Maybe they get they catch fire this weekend. It would be very ideal if they head to New York next weekend or next week during the middle of the week for that short two-game series, and they can get those games back that they lost. It's going to feel much better for all of us. And I think it would scare Yankees fans, which would be the best part about this, because a lot of Yankees fans love you know, bragging about how people chirp about their schedule, and then they came in and take two out of three from the Jays. The Jays still aren't complete yet, and I think that's the problem that they don't see yet, and I can't wait to sh- for the, pretty much the Jays to surprise them when that's the case. And I think we all know this, uh, Jays fans know this, that it's eventually bound to happen, but the question is when. And how. <laughs> how do you get it going? How do you get that change to happen? Um, I'll bring up one idea. Is Dante Bichette the solution? We know he resigned from his position with the Blue Jays over the offseason because of the CBA and all that crap so that he could still coach Bo Bichette. And I believe there were some other Blue Jay players who worked out with Dante Espinal over the offseason. Bo a Espinal, lot last, I, yeah. I think Cavan was also involved in that group of working out with Dante Bichette. Is bringing Dante Bichette back the solution? We talk about the issues with runners in scoring position, and Bryson, the the reason that this idea came up for me is because you mentioned the difference in approach and whether that's the issue. And we know Dante Bichette, all he did when he was with the Blue Jays as an assistant hitting coach was preach approach, approach, approach at the plate. And adapting your approach for different counts and different situations. And like you said, you look at the Blue Jays right now. Runners in scoring position, they have a 50 OPS plus or S OPS plus, which is them relative to the rest of the league on those splits. So if the league average OPS plus is 100 for runners in scoring position, right now the Blue Jays are at 50. So they're 50% below the league average in runners in scoring position. It is dismal. They are 30 out of 30. What Dante Bichette does is preach this type of change in approach. So I know I just talked about how Teoscar Hernandez isn't going to be this perfect solution, this magic pill for the Blue Jays lineup. 
But maybe bringing Dante Bichette back is part of the solution. We've seen the Blue Jays do it before. Towards the end of last season when the offense was scuffling a little bit. At the end of August, they brought him in. He had some solutions to offer. Whether he actually impacted anything or not remains to be seen. And is kind of just a question that none of us can answer. But maybe you bring back Dante Bichette. Maybe that's a solution that helps the Blue Jays right now. I'll take it. I'll take anything that works at this point. Because like the problem is, is you have... George Springer, established silver slugger hitter, Teoscar Hernandez, silver slugger hitter, obviously not in lineup right now, but Vladimir Guerrero Jr., second in AL MVP voting. Like, you have good hitters in your lineup. And that's not even to mention Matt Chapman, who's not the greatest, but he'll hit you a couple bombs each year, 30 bombs if you consider that a couple. You have Lourdes Gurriel Jr., who can hit and can hit, you know, in very clutch situations. He had, what, four Grand Slams last season, I think it was, and... Most of them came in clutch situations, or maybe the most uh, memorable one came in a very clutch clutch uh, situation. But like you have good hitters, and then even if you don't have like elite hitters at certain positions, like I think we can argue catching and Santiago Espinal as good as he is, I don't think we can call him you know a super power hitter. But still, like you have one of the best lineups or one of the best position player rosters in probably baseball. So. Why is it not clicking? And if it's not clicking, I think it's fair to say that you look externally. I mean, Dante Bichette obviously was with the team 2020 uh, and last year at times. I don't see why bringing him back is is a bad idea. And at the end of the day, anything I think can be better than this offense that we're currently seeing. So hopefully that's all it is. And I think one thing that I wanted or that I was thinking of, but I want to just get it out there so that I can debunk it, is that the Blue Jays have had good opponents or had games against good opponents. So it's not like you can say that, Oh, they're just getting into tough luck against tough pitching. No, like you're at, you're not always facing the ace of a team staff and they have had good games against those teams that are good, but they've also had games that are rough against, against bad teams. Like look at the, um, I know technically that opening series was full of runs, but when it came time to, you know, except for game one, when it came time for coming back, they just kind of didn't, or especially in that Oakland series, the offense was definitely down. So it's been kind of a, a season-wide trend. So I, I think it's it's fair to look look for really anything that can change your offense. Yeah, you're getting an elite hitter back. Danny Jansen's still, I think, a week or two at least away. So it's not like your lineup will be 100% full, although the catching situation, I'll take what it is right now. But... I think you got to look, you got to do whatever you can do. Maybe it's one of those player only meetings. I mean, it's not like the team's still doing well. So it's not as if everybody needs to meet and hash out their differences in order to change things, but something, something to maybe change their approach or anything, because you know, you, you cannot win at, at a extremely consistent pace if the offense is not this good. And that's the biggest takeaway that I have from this series yeah, you have had a very good season all season long so far, a month, but still, you've had a good month, you've had a good opening month to the season. I highly doubt that it's extremely uh, sustainable throughout 162 or, you know, close or 130, whatever it is, to end off the season or in the playoffs because you're not facing bad teams. And if there's anything a Toronto team in the playoffs currently knows right now is playoffs are not full of, uh, they're, they're not full of people that just barely got in. So... You got to get prepared for that. I know it's obviously still very, very early to talk about playoffs, but you get my point. Like, I'd rather I'd rather fix this now and deal with this now than deal with this way later in the season when you desperately need wins or potentially desperately need wins. So I'll take it. I'm all ears. I think the team is all ears because even though this is their first series loss of the season, it still stings. It still sucks. You want to do a lot better. And I think that going forward, going into May, it will get a lot better and maybe bringing somebody like Dante Bichette who his son kind of scuffling at times. I'm not going to say that he's having a down year, but definitely could be something that I think helps him and helps the rest of his teammates. He's been nothing but trending upward, which is very optimistic. So Dante, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I just, um, we know why he was released. I think it would, or I guess no longer working with the team. I think it would be kind of suspicious if right after the lockout, he was brought back. I mean, maybe, I, I don't know, but I just feel like that would definitely be kind of something that raised questions. So I don't know if there's a certain time period that 
he's supposed to be unemployed for or they had an idea. I, I don't know. But, the, you know, the one, the one thing I take away, though, is when uh, I believe he w- it was Blair and Barker he was on. Um, it was last week, and they were talking about Bo in particular, and he pretty much said that it took him when, when the Jays were in Houston, that's when he saw Bo for the first time this year. And he pretty much said that it took him all but, you know, a few swings or kind of a few at-bats in person to see what he was exactly doing wrong. And it picked up on it right away. And, I mean, clearly it worked. And clearly they they identified it. And he pretty much got into specifics saying that he was getting under the fastball. And he was really, something about dropping his arm and shoulders and just the mechanics of his swing. And there were very small details about it. That was the reason for, you know, his struggles. And then, of course, you have to add in to the fact that he has been unlucky. But it clearly has been fixed. I mean, we I was ta- I was talking about his numbers earlier on and how he's been trending upwards. And it's been nothing but hard hit contact from him. I know it's Bo Bichette. It's his son. He's obviously knows him better than anybody else. But, you know, his intel was always good. His insight was always good. He always brought good analysis. And, you know, clearly if he's working with him and seeing these little things that uh, obviously Bo didn't even know what was going on for, maybe the team didn't really know as much either at the time. Maybe there's something that you're missing there. So I don't know. I mean, I would definitely take it. I don't know if, you know, you expect him to be that savior, but it's definitely another piece that would help you. I mean, it goes it goes on to somebody like Teoscar Hernandez, who's coming back. Just the addition of that, the presence of that, just to have any sort of effort or an all effort possible to turn it around. And I completely agree with that. That would definitely help. It just, I guess it comes to a matter if he wants to do it or if the Jays are interested. It comes down to a whole bunch of stuff for that. So that's where I stand on it. And I think that... Um, you know, I, you, Jacob, you were talking about it too. The tough opponents he had in April, and we've been talking about it. I think we spoke about it last week too. Is that at least in the month of May, and then I guess even going to the end of the month, it starts balancing off a little bit, which is good. And maybe that's going to help. I don't know. I mean, I really don't know if they need to just see bad teams for a little bit. We know that they have the Orioles a lot later on in the year, but you have to imagine by then they're going to be going or else I think we'd be very concerned. And then we'd be talking about this as a major issue long term. But we're, I, you know, knock on wood and have all hope and just assume that we're not going to get there. I don't think we will. But yeah, I just, we, we're just at the point now where we are looking for any sort of those signs and, um, because we know the potential and we know that once it does happen, like we, we know the damage it's going to cause in a good way. It's not like we're being something where we're, you know, just dreaming for something and it's just something that's unrealistic. We know that this is something that is realistic and we know that they're playing under their potential. That's the problem. And I think that's the most frustrating part is that we know it's in them and we just haven't, you know, it hasn't come together yet, but that's okay. I mean, where they stand, we, we, where it's ideal, at least it's, better than where they were last year and it's better than being at the 500 mark so you can't complain about where they are statistically of course you know just the way they lost this series was definitely bitter and of course you know that that second game in particular that we spoke about it just stung and I think that was the problem no matter what month of the year it is you know especially losing a division rival like that you know it's unacceptable and it can't be happening you know over the course of the year you hope this is something that happens you know where you can only count with the single hand of something that it really only happens for so that's the problem with it, but again, you get a reset this weekend. I don't want to say it's going to happen this weekend, but we, you know, I guess the hope would be when we record next, whether that's Sunday or Monday, is that there are signs, right? The signs that we're talking about. Something comes away from this series in particular because, you know, if you go into Cleveland again and have a series where the offense kind of just performs that the way they've been doing it all year, you know, you come out of Cleveland, we, we talk about it, and then you look that they're going back to New York next week. And I don't think, you know, the current state of the offense, we would exactly be confident about that. So that's I think that's why this series could definitely be important for them to start turning it around and start getting on that because we, we just we need the science. That's all it is. And if it's Dante Bichette later on in the year, if it's Teoscar Hernandez, if it's Danny Jansen, who we haven't even spoken about yet, who's making progress, any sort of help, uh, we're going to take it and it's pretty much anything that we need right now that we you know we're going to take it. We're going to have any sort of wishful thinking and hope that this thing is going to get going very soon. I think I'm sensing a bit of desperation in your voice. <laughs> I think I speak for all of us when I say it's getting to that point. Maybe yeah, eager. I think, yeah, that's, I guess that's a more optimistic word or optimistic spin to put on it. But yeah, I think this series against Cleveland will be a big indication of where they are as a team because you look at the Yankees, the Yankees have the number two ERA in all of baseball. 
behind only the Dodgers right now, compared to Cleveland, has the 21st best ERA in baseball, um, which is behind all the teams that the Blue Jays have faced recently. The Astros are number seven. The Red Sox are lower down at 17. But all these teams better than Cleveland. So I think this will be a big indication. And ultimately, I think if we're putting a bow on this conversation, um, it's a puzzle that the Blue Jays are trying to figure out. And there's a whole bunch of different pieces that go into it. One piece to the solution is Teoscar Hernandez. One piece to the solution might be Danny Jansen. One piece to the solution might be facing Cleveland pitching. And another piece might be Dante Bichette or Guillermo Martinez or someone somewhere figuring something out. So there's a whole bunch of different pieces and factors at play here. Hopefully something changes soon. And I think we'll get a good picture of where the Blue Jays are at based on this next series at Cleveland. Um, Okay, enough about the offense. Let's talk about Yusei Kikuchi. Because his start today was exactly what we needed to see from him. Um, We talked about it before. He's been rough all season. He hasn't really looked comfortable. He hasn't been able to limit the walks and find that command. Um, He was able to do that today. Today, he had his rough spots, as any fifth starter will. But he went six innings, three hits, one earned run, only one walk which is a key stat from today in seven strikeouts. You compare that to his previous four starts this year. First outing against New York, he walked two guys. Then he walked three guys. Then he walked five guys on April 24th against Houston. Then the next start against Houston, he walked three guys. Um, In all those outings, his strikeouts are right in line, if not less than the amount of walks he allowed. Today, seven strikeouts, one walk. Um, I think it's impossible to overstate how encouraging this is for Yusei Kikuchi. Um, This is exactly what we needed from him, what we needed to see from him. And there was a quote from him after the game about just the adjustments and and adaptations he's been making with Pete Walker and how he felt more comfortable on the mound today, which I think was pretty obvious based on his performance. But to see him put up these numbers, it's what we've been waiting for, and hopefully it's indicative of what's to come for him. Yeah, I don't think I was overly worried. It definitely wasn't a good start to the season. But if you can limit the Yankees to pretty much nothing over, the, you know, the innings or the the start that he was able to six innings, it's a darn good uh, outing, I would say. And it was what the Blue Jays needed because they had Stripling. He wasn't terrible in Game One. Manoa was dominant in Game Two. Kikuchi was a, was really good. And I think when we look when we previewed the series i think i can't remember if both of you were saying they were going to lose the series or something but i know that i'll let the it stand thing for that the we talked about i was the only one who said it would be one and two both of you said they would win oh, okay but yeah so w- what i was getting at is w- the the worry was is you you have the back end of your rotation minus manoa pitching the entire rotation was good this series so it's not really a worry for or i shouldn't say it's a, not a worry going forward but my worry has definitely been relieved a little bit. And overall, it was just a dominant start from him. Obviously, you mentioned only the one walk. So the command was definitely there. He was getting, you know, he wasn't giving those free passes, seven strikeouts. He was dominant. I mean, he was exactly what you needed. I still hate that he had to be this dominant in order for the Blue Jays to win because two to one was the final score today. Two to one is not sustainable. Like this isn't... I don't even know. This isn't soccer where you just barely edge your opponent out. Like you need to have a better offense. Your pitchers are doing their job. Absolutely. And and all the credit to them. I just, I don't like that they have to do this. You got to give them a little bit of breathing room, but enough about the offense. You say Kikuchi, very good start. I believe his next start, it's a four gamer against. Cleveland, yeah, He'll be starting in, in New York so, next week. Yeah. Mm, yeah. So it won't be the Cleveland series. Might as well. I mean, hey, he had a good uh, opportunity against uh, against them today. See what he can do against New York again. So the, uh, the only difference being it'll be in New York, whereas last time in New York wasn't as good of an outing. But I knew this was kind of how things go. He obviously he came in so late into spring training, so it really wasn't... I wasn't as worried, especially considering this is your fifth starter. It's not like if he has a bad outing, I hit the panic button. But I'll take this. Like he was, he was just flat out dominant today. See if he can do it again next week against uh, against the New York Yankees. Yeah, I mean, 
I think the thing that was obviously really different going back to his start last Friday against the Astros was that, and you guys touched on it, is that he was attacking the zone early. We were seeing the efficiency. You know, we were seeing him being at low pitch counts early on in the outing, which is part of the reason for him going to six innings. And that's something that we haven't seen. You know, we've been used to seeing 30 pitch first innings, loading the bases, getting into trouble, walking yourself into trouble, you know, him getting through it sometimes, him getting rocked some other times, you know, him having a high pitch count in the third inning, going to the bullpen already, like two times through the order or whatnot. We've been used to that. And uh, today was different. Today was... You say Kikuchi, this is something that they are working towards. He is still a work in progress, but he continues to be more comfortable, like you were talking about, Mark, early on. And I think the thing that was definitely stood out to for me today is that his cutter, which has been, you know, the pitch that as much as he uses a lot and he relies on, it doesn't really fool hitters. And the thing that stuck out today was his cutter got the most whiffs um, out of all of his other pitches today. So his cutter was on point. And I assume that has a lot to do with location. I have, I assume that has a lot to do with just, you know, just pitch selection and whatnot. And one, I guess, time he used the cutter that stuck out to me, just as a highlight early on in the game, is when he struck out uh, Josh Donaldson early, or early on in his outing. He pitched him a cutter outside. You know, he fooled him. He reached, and I love that. I, if if you're gonna place your cutter on the outside of the zone, it's a lot better than trying to go inside or you know just missing on location inside. It's dangerous. We've seen him, you know, firsthand this year in his five starts, get rocked from his cutter and make mistakes against his cutter. And even going back to last year with Seattle, we know about the cutter. And this year, if you're gonna locate it at different spots, if you're gonna get those swing and misses. That's great, and you can still utilize your fastball and mix in your changeup there too. So that's why I think, as much as he threw his, I think he threw his fastball the most today. Uh, you the, just the times he used his cu- cutter and he used it less, I should say, than he did his last inning. That's what I was trying to say is that it was more balanced this time. But if you're going to mix in your cutter here and there and put it at a perfect location, and that has a lot to do with the command, you're good and you're golden. And you come out of this, um, you come out of this start with, I think he's at a 4.35 ERA. That's definitely. You'll definitely take that from a fifth starter. Of course, you would. You'd want more, but I think that's something that's pretty acceptable as a fifth starter. So you just hope that this is something that is consistent now, because the last time we came out of this, where he had a good start, and it wasn't even the greatest, but it was something that he worked through the trouble, and it, the pitching line ended up on a good note was against the Red Sox, and we were kind of all optimistic that this was gonna you know translate into more things, but unfortunately, that wasn't the case. As his two starts after that, pretty much did not go as planned whatsoever against the Houston Astros. So now we're at this point again, is that we see it from Kikuchi again. And the question is, are we sold? Of course, we're going to want to see more from him, but are we confident he can try and somewhat maintain this in terms of, you know, going at least five innings or going, getting to that five inning range, pretty much majority of his starts and not pitching two and a third? Maybe, maybe. I mean, I don't know, but it's just something that they're continuing to make those mechanical adjustments to. So you, you you assume and you figure that he is going to slowly and slowly get better or at least maintain the performance he put up today or maybe slight, something slightly worse. That's fine. But in terms of giving up five runs and three and two thirds and all that stuff, you know, at some point we we got to hope that stops, right? And for a fifth starter and whatnot. And Jakey, you're talking about it right now. These are the only ways they're winning games. So the fact and I guess the irony of this is that um, Jacob, I think we both said our predictions were that they were going to win this series and they were going to lose the Kikuchi start. So pretty ironic that the only win they get is when Kikuchi was pitching, regardless of how good the starting pitching was all series. I just find that funny, and I'm glad that Yusei Kikuchi pretty much saved um, or was a big reason for why the Yankees didn't sweep them this series. And yeah, you're going to have another start where you get to face the team once again back-to-back, and this is something that he's really been doing all year. I mean, he, he faced the the Yan- um, he faced the Astros back-to-back, and he's going to do the same thing with the Yankees now. You're at Yankee Stadium. It's obviously tough to replicate that, so I think it's definitely a big test going into next week when he does start against them again, but I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves with the Cleveland series, but for Kikuchi individually, it is a big test for him next week, and um, I'm definitely curious to see not how he responds because he pitched well, but how he can maybe build off of what we saw tonight, and I think that will definitely be a, a main question mark, and it's something that I think all of us rightfully could question and not maybe be the most confident in, but... I think there may be a little bit, some level of optimism in there. Maybe just like the offense, Mark, if that helps you. I'll tell you what, we jinxed. We jinxed. Jinxes Kikuchi aren't real, man. Because us saying that, I'm t- <laughs> all I'm saying, we said he was going to get lit up. What did he do? He lit the. But then Mark said they were going to lose, say... though. So I'm just. Put... 
We didn't so, say he was going to get lit up. I'm just up. putting it out there. We talked about him getting lit up in the past, but we didn't say, if I yeah. recall correctly, we were all saying, give it time. He'll work out. Correct. So if anything, that's evidence that jinxes are not real. Thank you, um, Mark. Thank you, Mark. Well, <laughs> I'm just saying, you and I both thought they were going to lose today. And that but we weren't predicting him to get it lit up to what Mark anyways, was saying. Anyways, anyways, okay, like, let's not have this debate. He said he now. was going to lose, and they won. We got about four minutes left on this <laughs> Please podcast. Stop. Yeah, so. just stop. Uh, <laughs> we need predictions for the series in Cleveland. It's a four-game set. The probables for the Blue Jays: Jose Barrios going Thursday, Kevin Gosman Friday, Ross Stripling on Saturday, and Sunday is the one and only Alec Manoa. I'm going to say the Blue Jays take three of four. It's Cleveland. They should be able to do that. Where are you guys at with this series? I hate to be that guy, but I'm I'm sensing a split. Jeez. It's because like I know Cleveland's pretty bad, but the offense is like this offense. It needs to turn things around if you want to win. And yeah, you have you have like the best of your rotation. It's just you need more than a rotation to uh, to dominate. Well, I was worried or not worried but I was questioning if you were going the opposite way and saying you were optimistic but uh I'll be that guy I'm gonna say a sweep I think they go into Cleveland this weekend and I think they sweep the Guardians and I gotta I gotta stick with what I said earlier on I kept we kept kind of hyping the series up maybe this is the series for the offense I'm gonna I'm gonna hope and die on the sword that this is and on top of that I'm comfortable with the starting rotation that you're putting out there you're putting out Barrios who's pretty much on track I mean, I don't even need to discuss Kevin Gosman with you guys. Everyone knows how dominant he's been. Ross Stripling, the innings he's been giving you has been acceptable. Nothing short of that. And again, I don't need to explain to you with Alec Manoa either. We know that the Jays win games and Alec Manoa pitches for the most part, other than missed calls or errors or whatnot. For the most part, they do win. I'm confident with the the rotation that they're sending out this weekend. Okay. I got to be honest. I was considering going for a sweep as well. I like it, Mark. I Jacob, think the most pessimistic one. That's weird. <laughs> I'm confident the offense will get going, but sweeping a four-game series is just so, so tough to do. So it always, I wasn't it always willing is. to take that step, but I hope you're right, Bryson, for all of our sakes. Um, okay, we'll wrap it up there. We'll be looking forward to hopefully an offensive explosion in Cleveland. And as always, you can support our podcast by finding us on social media. That's at Section138Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. You can go ahead and find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and review. You can also find us on YouTube and subscribe and watch our episodes there. All right, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time.